0: No one likes to see you bringing problems to the workplace unless he or she is a reference librarian. Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. Once upon a time, reference librarians assisted patrons to find something, usually in a book. In 2016, the job is to work out what the problem is, then find the resources to solve it. Publishers Weekly senior writer, Andrew Albanese, joins me each Friday, and today he's our direct connection to the librarian community. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Greetings, Chris. Well, we will get to that point, point in a very interesting one it is, in just a moment. I know how much the librarians of this nation mean to you. But first, this week, Publishers Weekly and your partners in Paris, Liev Hebdo, have released the annual edition of the Global 50, the, the, the spotlight on the biggest publishing companies around the world. So, so tell us about that, and I guess I have to correct myself, because it is now the Global 52.
1: That's correct. We we have two new additions to the global fifty. It is now the global fifty-two. And sure, so you know, I'll, I'll cut right to the chase. The the five largest publishers in two thousand fourteen actually retained their positions in two thousand fifteen on the Levebdo Publishers Weekly ranking. But you know that stability at the top is not really a surprise, and it's also not really the story. Uh, as some notable shifts took place among the global publishing giants. For example, Pearson. Pearson made maintained its place as the world's largest book publisher in 2015, but that doesn't mean that the UK-based company didn't face its share of challenges. The company is undergoing a major restructuring effort, uh, which included the sale of its stake in the Financial Times and The Economist, and Pearson also announced in January of this year that it was going to cut about 4,000 jobs from its worldwide educational publishing operation in an attempt to, according to the company, create a single global product Organization, uh, those changes were a major factor in total revenue at Pearson falling from over seven billion in 2014 to about six point billion last year.
0: Well, well, I haven't seen the reckoning yet, but I gather that Pearson was not alone in seeing some financial headwinds last year.
1: Uh, indeed, Pearson was not the only publisher that saw revenue fall in 2014 and two, uh, in 2015. In fact, uh, more than half of the companies in the global ranking had a decline in 2015 over the previous year. Among the factors for the revenue drop, uh, some things you can probably guess, there's a weak global economy, uh, disruptions caused by the use of ebooks and other digital content, and of course, currency fluctuations. And like Pearson, publishers took a variety of, of pretty aggressive steps. In reaction to these changed market conditions. You know, one of the biggest deals, for example, of uh, 2015 was the merger of Holdspring uh, owned Macmillan Science and Education with Springer Science and Business. And now, Holdspring, I think, has about a 53% stake in the combined company, uh, which was renamed Springer Nature. And that deal actually had a direct impact on the Global 52 rankings this year. By shifting revenue from its professional education business to the new entity, Holdspring sales actually fell to $1.2 billion uh, in 2015, and that dropped it from 10th place on the global ranking to 19th position for last year. Uh, Now, the new Springer Nature Groups, meanwhile, clocked in as the 15th largest publisher in 2015. So, I guess it all works out two other acquisitions that took place in 2016 also had the effect of uh, knocking the acquired company out of the global list altogether. Uh, the Perseus Books Group, which was number 39 on the global ranking in 2014, with revenue of about $400 million, uh, was broken up and sold in two transactions earlier this year, as our listeners may recall. One part of the business went to Hachette, and another part went to Ingram. Uh, now, there was about an additional $100 million in sales from Perseus that could have been, but were not included as part of uh, Hachette Leaves' publishing subsidiary in 2015. So Hachette actually held steady, like I should say the parent company of Hachette, actually held steady at number nine on the list, while Perseus, which actually would have been about 37th in the 2015 ranking uh, if it had stayed independent, is now off the board entirely. At the same time, Penguin Random House, with worldwide revenue of more than $4 billion, is the only purely trade publisher to be among the world's 10 largest publishers. Uh, The balance of those uh, in the top 10 are all comprised of educational and professional publishers.
0: All right, then. So those are the companies that have seen a drop-off in their rankings. But did anyone crack into the top 50 this year?
1: Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, right you are. In fact, one company did come onto the rankings this year. Uh, Chinese publisher, J. Publishing United Group, entered the list at number 18 with revenue of $1.36 billion. And the addition of uh, J. Jang brings to five, I believe, the total number of Chinese publishers that are now in the rankings since their inclusion began in 2014, when they started to provide verifiable financials. So, welcome to the J. Jing, United
0: publishing group <laughs> from china in, in, indeed welcome and i think we're going to be watching them rise as the years progress it'll be fascinating to see how uh, how, the, how far up the, the the rankings the chinese actually go and on on the subject uh, of uh, education uh, you have an article in monday's edition an annual feature on reference we previewed that in our intro and, and refu- reference rather is becoming very much about education and, and tell us what's behind this piece
1: yeah, you know, so this, it was one year ago that uh, our columnist here at Publishers Weekly, Brian Kenny, who is, of course, the, the director at the White Plains Public Library and former editorial director of Library Journal, he wrote a column for us titled, Where Reference Fits in the Modern Library. That was in September of last year. And the column basically addressed his frustration with the gulf between reference work as he experienced it in his library and how reference is actually discussed in the library profession and taught in library and information schools. And the nut of that... That piece, which is a really well-written piece, if you haven't read it, you should certainly go back and take a look. Uh, the nut of that piece was that it's time to acknowledge that something else, something that we're only really beginning to understand, is actually taking the place of traditional reference service in public libraries. Uh, in essence, can be concluded that today's library user actually wants help doing things rather than finding things. And you, you could argue that that's always been the case, uh, and you'd be right. Brian added, but the extent of this shift is unprecedented. He argued in the history of library services, and you know, at the time he wrote that column, Brian confided that he didn't think it was going to get much attention. And I have to say, at the time, I agreed. You know, library reference stories—they they really don't exactly take off uh, in popularity, but this one did. It actually became one of the most popular stories of all of 2015 for PW, and it was shared thousands of times on social media. So we wanted to sort of revisit that conversation, and we asked a group of librarians to sort of revisit the article and weigh in on what Brian got right or wrong, and the perspectives we got this year on where references are just terrific. Virtually all librarians that we spoke to for this piece acknowledged that they are actually shifting from this passive, we're here for you to ask questions, to much more program-based learning. And it makes sense that they would do that. As one librarian told us, reference librarians can't be passive like those old reference resources that used to stack up on the shelves just waiting to spill their treasures. But instead, they have to strive to actually get to the root of a patron's problem. And it's not so much even what are you looking for or how can I help you, but what problem are you trying to solve? Uh, And librarians say that question, what problem are you trying to solve, really gets to the heart of today's reference mission. You know, and that makes sense too. When you think about how much information is now available online, often for free, accessible via these powerful devices we carry in our pockets, you know, answers to questions that once necessitated a trip to the library and to the library reference desk are now just answered in minutes by pulling out your iPhone. But even this finding that information becomes easier connection librarians say remains a challenge and that's really what librarians are seeking to do with reference you know gone are the reference desks the imposing reference desk of days past and librarians are repurposing their space to actually provide more classes and more collaboration and room for people to actually come in and learn something now, what does that mean for those who have traditionally provided the resources for library reference? Well, for books, they're hanging on. And that's, you know, surprising and not surprising. It's not surprising because books obviously are very much at the center of what librarians do these days. Uh, and it's somewhat surprising because, as we said before, so much information has gone digital. But really, what librarians are seeing now is, is a, an increased opportunity for reference to become instruction. Uh, now, what really hit me in the piece, too, was how Many of the librarians are on aggregated databases. They really seem to have fallen out of favor with librarians. And you know, it was a decade ago, even less actually, that we were talking about databases as the future of reference. But now, librarians say they are less interested in those products, which are often expensive, usually underused in the library, and you know, just have a difficult user experience. One librarian told us that they did at one point expect online databases to replace print materials, but they spent too much time trying to. Convince the public of their usefulness. And in truth, uh, the public had already moved on. They were happy to use publicly easily available resources like Wikipedia and the clean white search box of Google. Even though the information may not be necessarily authoritative, they were still happy with the results. So there's plenty to chew on in this reference article. Certainly, I think it strikes at how the library mission at large is changing. And you can read all about that in Monday's issue.
0: Well, I look forward to that. You know, I really appreciate the way you follow the librarian's story uh, for us, Andrew, and I'm particularly intrigued with those two uh, opposing points, the, the rise of reference as instruction and the decline of databases. And I'd love to get into that with you on a future beyond the book. Andrew Albany's senior writer for Publishers Weekly. Thanks for joining us today. My
1: pleasure, as always.
0: Coming up for our next edition of Beyond the Book on Monday, we have a recording of a panel discussion I moderated at the first Rice Tech Summit held in New York earlier this summer. Stephen White, CEO of Dubset, spoke about the new music marketplace and how it's driven by others than just musicians.
1: We're focused on DJ mixes and remixes as a starting point because it's a high-demand content type. And our Our distribution partners want access to content created by the top DJs in the world.
0: All of that coming up on the very next edition of Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center with its subsidiaries Rights Direct in the Netherlands and Ixis in the United Kingdom. CCC is a global leader in content workflow, document delivery, text and data mining, and rights licensing technology. You can follow Beyond the Book on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to the free podcast series on iTunes or at our website, beyondthebook.com. Our engineer and co-producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.